1: Hi everyone, I am C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Aliesta Sonica Gilmore about her debut novel, The Witch and the Tsar. Strictly speaking, The Witch and the Tsar is historical fantasy rather than historical fiction. I am conducting the interview because the novel is set during the reign of Ivan the Terrible, the source of both my fiction and my nonfiction. It seemed too good an opportunity to pass up. In the excerpt that follows, the i is Yaga better known as Baba Yaga, the wicked witch of Russian folklore. But as we soon discover, Yaga in this novel is quite different from the hook-nosed crone who rides the skies in her mortal and pestle, luring children to their doom. Late May, 1560. When my owl landed on my shoulder, I knew heartbreak was not far behind. It was that the twilight tasted different, though on my tongue, the humid spring air had the bitterness of snowfall. It was that even this deep in the Russian forest, Dusk bled into the light with infuriating leisure. The clouds had smothered the last of the sun's rays in scarlet, yet day clung on, delaying what mortals intended to find their way to my izbushka. The log hut stood on chicken legs, not swaying or spinning or even pacing as unnaturally still as me. I usually fidgeted with impatience, eager for my first client to appear, for my work to begin. Now unease wrapped around my throat, silent as a viper. My owl could only be here to deliver bad tidings. Like her namesake, Night, Notch came in the company of darkness and shadows. It was then the mortals arrived with their fevers, skin infections, and stomach poisons, with the burns from the fires that spread too quickly in their cramped, wooden villages. They did not approach me in the light of day, even if it was waning, Not unless they brought disaster. Norcha's bright yellow gaze fixed on me pointedly. She let out a screech loud enough to reanimate the skulls on the fence encircling Maizbushka. They are here, ya? Her voice and the language she spoke reverberated through my mind, becoming words I could understand. Already? I asked in Russian. Someone was coming. Someone desperate enough to risk being seen. Who is it? And now, please join me in welcoming Aliasa Salnikova-Gilmore. Hi, Aliasa. I look forward to talking with you today. Hi, thank you so much for having me on your show. The Witch and Czar is your first
0: published novel. How did you get into writing fiction? Well, at the time I started to write seriously, I was working as a lawyer at a large law firm in Chicago, and I had started to feel that it wasn't quite the right fit, which is, A very difficult position to be in, especially after all that schooling work that I had to do. But I always dreamed of writing a novel. Um, I loved books ever since my grandfather would read to me as a little girl. I was a voracious reader, just like many authors. And I actually started my first book, Not the Witch and the Tower*, right out of college, but just never got around to finishing it. Um, I probably just didn't know how to finish it. And so my husband was actually the one who encouraged me um, many years later when I was a lawyer to finish that book and see how I liked writing. And it turned out I liked it very much as I kept on writing.
1: Ah, that's a great story. Now, you were born and spent your early years in Moscow. Um,
0: is it fair to assume you were exposed to Baba Yaga as a child? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Bobby Yaga was a major presence in my childhood. Um, in fact, my mother would oftentimes evoke her name every time on the suitcase, which was a lot, um, especially at night because I never wanted to go to bed. And so she would tell me, you know, if you don't go to bed, Bobby Yaga is going to sneak into your room through the balcony window, take you, you know, in her mortar and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and take you to her chicken a hut in the woods, and I'm never going to see you again. That's how my mom would tell me. And so I really grew up with kind of the specter of her. Um, Always a little frightening, but also very fascinating to me. I have to admit, she
1: terrified me as a child. I remember reading a book of Russian fairy tales. I was probably about eight or
0: nine, and I just thought it was way too much. (laughs) Yes, I, I know. Well, like all fairy tales, you know, we read not only the Slavic fairy tales, Grimm's fairy tales and Anderson's fairy tales. They're, very, they're they're, quite gruesome, actually.
1: <laughs> they are, yeah. The, the original Grim fairy tales are very gruesome as well.
0: So what made you decide that Yaga needed a makeover? <laughs> I like how you put that, makeover. Um, you know, I wasn't really interested in writing about the fearsome hag that we all know from the fairy tales. Um, just because She's already in the fairy tales and um, she's a bit of a figure of ridicule and uh, definitely affects his contempt and she's a bit of a caricature and joke, especially if you look at some of the Soviet movies that um, she makes an appearance in um, throughout the 20th century. And so um, when I started my research, I very much wanted to do a different interpretation of her. Um, And uh, what really helped me was the fact that some scholars do believe that the Baba Yaga we know is actually based on a fertility and earth goddess um, or her descendant that was worshipped by ancient pagan slavs uh, a very long time ago. And I instantly became interested in that particular concept. How does a goddess get turned into a witch and an old ugly word is that? And I really wanted to reframe the story of Bobby Haga imagining because it is a reimagining of what she could have been like if she was a goddess and also a human woman both before rumor had reduced her to the silly old crone we all know and love. So Yunyaga has lived for centuries
1: by the time this novel opens. Uh, We'll talk about her past a bit later, but why, out of the many options available, did you decide to center this story on the second half of Ivan the Terrible's reign?
0: Well, I've always been fascinated with the medieval era in general, Um, and looking at the medieval era, Ivan came rather naturally. Um, He was the first czar. He is, even to this day, a very popular czar. And he is known for uh, to have a little bit of a temper, <laughs> obviously, as his, uh, the terrible part of his name shows. And I had picked him before I found out um, uh, a lot more about him. Um, and, 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 this, and, and my research made him an even more perfect opponent for you guys. Well, first I found out he was incredibly paranoid and controlling. Um, and uh, most fun for me, he was superstitious. He believed in witchcraft. He believed in witches. He believed in spells. Um, he would often invite fortune tellers and sorcerers and other such people to his court. And so um, I just thought, you know, he, I could definitely see him inviting someone like you got to his court. And I would just, I could see him being so incredibly livid and also threatened by someone like Yaga, a powerful woman um, who, you know, comes to court and then challenges him. Um, Describe your Yaga for us at the moment we meet her. Well, in the beginning of the book, she is uh, living alone in the woods um, with her pets, her wolf gang, uh, which uh, means gay. And, um, her owl which, which means night. So of course, they are based on for anyone who knows uh, the Baba Yaga mythology, um, they're based on the night that Bobbyga has, uh you know, day, night, and uh, early morning. So I kind of just um, did day and night. <laughs> um, and um, uh, so Yaga is a healer. She's a witch. Uh, she helps and advises whoever dares to. Uh, come to her hut deep in the woods, um, and she is fiercely independent. Um, but she's also lonely as well. Uh, she misses being around people. She's half human, so naturally that side of her definitely, um, you know, calls to her. And um, and uh, yeah, she misses being around people, though she really hates to admit that.
1: One of the fun parts of the story for me, um, maybe smart revenge on that nine-year-old self who was terrified, um, was seeing the way that you twist some of the tropes associated with the fairy tale, Baba Yaga. So tell us a little bit about Little Hen. Uh, You've already mentioned Nort and Diane. Little
0: Hen, actually you may be surprised to know that Little Hen was actually a late addition to the book. Um, I was working on my edits with my editor um, and we were trying to enhance some of the more fantastical elements, um, and I was trying to get at some of the more traditional elements from the Baba Yaga myth. Um, as the background, initially, I was more focused on the historical elements and making Yaga a strong, powerful, and relatable heroine in her own right. And um, when I was working on the fantasy, I thought to myself, "Why don't I have a chicken legged hut?" I mean, this is Bobby a guy after all. And after I had the idea for Little Hen, I wanted to make her character in her right. You know, she's sort of this uh, just hut on chicken legs from the fairy tale. but I wanted to give her a little bit of her own personality, uh, make her you know, have a little bit of an attitude, uh, make her be this kind of quirky, fun huge character that would offset um, some of the darkness in the, in the book, um, and um, and uh, have her be one of your God's companions, um, and a loyal one at that.
1: The first chapter ends with the arrival of Tseritsa Anastasia, uh, who was Ivan the Terrible's first wife, and presumably, I mean, it's believed that he was deeply in love with her, although the evidence for that, is, as with the evidence of most things in 16th century Russia, is pretty scant. Um, what brings her to Yaga's door? How do they even know each other?
0: Oh, I should also mention, I forgot to mention one little thing about Little Hen. I actually wrote a short story about how Yaga met Little Hen. And um, if uh, people find out for my newsletter through my website, they can actually get the short story for free. So um, I had a lot of fun with that one. So um, just a note. <laughs> so Anastasia comes to Yaga because she has been ill, which at this point in history is white accurate to the real Anastasia, who was sick for months um, with an illness that doctors didn't really know what it was. Um, she is desperate, and while she hasn't seen Yaga for some years, ever since she got married to the Tsar, um, as of course it would be dangerous for her, you know, to be caught in the woods, a woman alone with a witch. Um, Uh, she does value her life more um, than that, and she recognizes her role in Nazar's life. Um, And after you got, you know, she's known Anastasia's family for a long time, and she knows Anastasia's mother. You guys, the one in in my story who helped Anastasia get noticed at court, Um, I initially had the idea for this connection um, because Anastasia was in reality chosen out of hundreds of eligible young women at a bridal show um now there's a caveat to that um some sources do say that the priest sylvester who was of course in my book one of the disgraced advisors to ivan the terrible in reality he really was one of his advisors who was disgraced um and and uh, some do believe that he um that he suggested anastasia for ivan Um, But aside from all of that, I really did imagine that Anastasia would have a very ambitious mother, as mothers like that tended to be, um, and that a witch could potentially help her get noticed among all these uh, hundreds of uh, very beautiful young women. So that's how I made that connection. Despite
1: their friendship and her own loneliness, uh, Yaga initially hesitates to leave her woodland home
0: for Moscow. Why is that? Uh, she's been burned um, by humanity in the past, even by Anastasia, who, as soon as she became the Tsuritsa, stopped visiting Yaga, stopped talking to her. And Yaga is not sure at the beginning whether she really wants to risk her peaceful existence and, of course, her life as well um, for the ways of mortal, which is very um, logical. <laughs> it is. What changes her mind? Well, I think um she doesn't want anything bad to happen to Anastasia. Uh God does understand uh, that the Jerita has a calming influence on the Tsar and is beloved by the Russian people. Um Yiga's the one who saw her potential when she was a little girl, when her mother and her would visit her hut. And um, you know, she knows Anastasia's being poisoned. That is her illness. Um and aside from Anastasia, weird things are happening in Russia. Winter's creeping into summer. You got thinks she imagines a corpse on her hut floor. And when she goes to the underworld, um, which I call Nav, um, to get the water of life, she realizes the river with the healing water is frozen. So she wants to find out what is happening because she cares about her homeland, wants to protect her homeland. And honestly, there's a bit of a selfish reason to her changing her mind as well because she misses people. She misses being around humans because obviously she, she's half human herself. This would be a good place to talk a bit about her
1: past and how it intersects with another character, uh, Kashe the Deathless, who is also a character from Russian folklore.
0: Yeah. Um, so they said, you guys uh, have goddess. Um, in my book, her mother is the fertility and earth goddess, um, Makosh. Uh, Makosh is uh, the goddess who some scholars believe, Baba Yaga is based on or descended from or a version of. In my book, she is Yigar's mother. Um, and Yuga lived with her mother in a regular Russian village, uh, helping people, healing people, before a fire destroyed their home and um, killed the mother. Then she sort of traveled around the villages, you know, healing people, living among them. Um, but the conversion to Christianity of old Ruth, um, around the year 988, um, uh, by Vladimir the Great, uh, really changed all that and changed, um, you know, how people saw Yaga and her pagan ways. Um, and so she withdrew to the woods. Now, I um, will note one thing here that's really important is I, I really try to strike that balance in my book where Yaga is a pagan uh, uh, goddess, of course. But she's very tolerant towards the Christian faith. And um, you see that in Russia, even today, how spiritualism and superstition lives right along with people's faith. So I didn't want them to have a lot of tension between each other because, uh, because of that. And so um, anyways, Yaga meets Kaché a few centuries before uh, the book starts they meet on a battlefield where she often heals dying and wounded many. And what could you tell us about Kashe himself? What drives him? Kashe is <laughs> uh, one of the most challenging characters for me to write. Um, in fairy tales, he is a villain. Um, he is this creepy old man um, who steals women from their husbands, from their beds, and he imprisons them in his castle. Um, he is also oftentimes Yaga's partner in crime. Sometimes he's her enemy. Other times he is actually her lover, and even sometimes her husband. So they have this connection in the fairy tales, and I wanted to play that up. Um, I wanted him to be in her life, but um, I wanted him, um, like Yaga, to be more relatable and more human um, for uh, for readers today. Um, so, uh, in the, in my book, he is largely driven by his fear of death, um, which, which does echo in the fairy tale, uh, origins as well, because Cachet is known to have hidden his death or his immortality in a very complicated way. So as long as his death or immortality is not found, he can live on and be immortal. Now, the same with my book uh, and because is going to do anything to protect himself and survive, but he is quite tortured as well. I wanted him to be a great character. I wanted him to be very complex um, and have, you know, a lot, a lot of things that really um, go against each other and his nature, because he also loves and respects Yaga and he loves his homeland. He was a warrior before he, he became what it is. So. I think in the end i'm very happy with his character i don't always like him because he's not always a likable character but uh but i am happy with how he turned out
1: yeah they really are frenemies i mean they they're attracted to each other they have a past a romantic past and and yet they're clearly on opposite trajectories
0: yes and i wanted uh, it was really important for me to um for you god to be a strong female without him because actually initially he was supposed to be the love interest but this is one of the cases where it's the first time this happened to me that a character just kind of as i was writing made her own decisions that she really didn't want to stay with him you know after all the bad stuff that he did um you know she has such a important sense of right an important sense of fighting for what's right that I didn't want her to to be with someone like a Shay. but they can still be fun frenemies, as you said.
2: <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals
1: Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's wonderful when a character does that. It's really hard to explain to non-authors how a character can just refuse to do something. Like I'm sorry, but that's not my plot. No,
0: it's the magic of the writing process.
1: It really is. So uh, when Yaga does eventually get to Moscow, uh, she is initially well received by Tsar Ivan. Who is not yet the Terrible, um, we should note. Uh,
0: how does that happen? Well, as we talked about earlier, uh, Ivan the Terrible actually, in reality, did invite um, a bunch of called magical people to his court, uh, you know, from fortune tellers to magicians to astrologers, to sorcerers, uh, you name it. Uh, so it would not have been odd for the real Ivan to have invited someone like he got to his court. And especially if he made, if, if it made his wife happy. Um for as you mentioned, we know from history, uh, he had a very soft spot for his first wife, and
1: actually um i'm I'm not sure if this came up in your research, but uh there were, his mother invited Sami shamans uh to the court because she was married for she was married in twenty six he wasn't born until nineteen thirty, so there was a big pressure on her to produce a child, and she did not immediately and and that was one of her solutions was to invite these um sorceress to say spells so that she would conceive. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and in fact, I, um, it, shamanism inspired, uh, in part inspired uh, uh, Yuga's magic for me because it really does have to do with the earth, with spiritualism, with kind of this um, ancient Russia that uh, that I had in my mind. So yeah, definitely.
1: Ivan stars on, y- on Yaga pretty fast. Um, tell us how that comes about and what follows as a result.
0: Well, I don't want to run too much uh, as, a, as, a, as a spoiler, uh, but it comes about from plotting of others at court. Uh, and, and these stories tend to go, right, um, seeking to convince uh, Ivan that Yaga does not have an interest in money. Um, but historically, Ivan was also, um, as I mentioned, an extremely paranoid man. Uh, he would be friends with someone, even be related to them. And yet, he would find a way to accuse them of treason, plotting to steal his crown or throne or poison him and or his wife. Um, he, he was a lot, I think, so many parallels with England's Henry VIII in that way and his numerous marriages.
1: So, yes, we don't want to give away too many spoilers. So let's switch uh, our interest now to um, the question of Slavic pagan beliefs. Um, A lot of the background to the novel depends on what we know or suspect about those beliefs. Makosh, we already mentioned. Perun, who was the god of thunder. Volus was the god of camel. And there are various other deities who all appear in the novel. So what kind of research did you do? And how did you reimagine these ancient gods and goddesses for your story?
0: Um, Well, unlike the example of Greek or Roman mythology, for example, uh, we don't have any texts on Slavic pagan mythology, myth, or gods. Um, I basically learned what I could from various scholars, surmising what those gods could have looked like after a comparative analysis of other pagan religions um, throughout the world. Um, The gods in my novel, which of course had to be there because you guys have have pagan goddess herself um, are very much inspired by what we think these gods could have been like and their stories, of course. Um, but I've added a lot of my own imagination into their creation. This took a lot of um, puzzle. It was, it was a bit of like a puzzle piece, uh, putting together a puzzle pieces <laughs> with what they could have looked like and just adding a lot of my own as well. This one goddess, I don't even know how to pronounce her name, Celica? Selica, yeah. Uh, Sirika as well, if, if you want the, the, the Russian.
1: <laughs> okay, so I hadn't heard of her before. She She's not your invention then. She is in the,
0: the mythology? Yeah, she is. She is. I mean, that's what's really confusing about the Slavic gods is there are numerous different types of goddesses, of gods, you know, uh, th- there are the main ones. For example, Perun is always the god of thunder. Volos is always the god of uh, the underworld. But um, there are some goddesses that are a little less obvious, and she's one of them. Uh, she is known to be a death goddess, uh, and she's Castelica Actually, she's sometimes called Manzana or Marzana. Uh, she has different names uh, depending on uh, on which country you, which Slavic country you look at, because she is uh, in in various, and not just in Russia, um, like a lot of these goddesses and gods. Um, but she actually was uh, oftentimes the representation of the death of winter and the coming alive of spring. So um, uh, you know, Slavs would and and actually these festivals still exist in some areas of the Slavic world, where um, the, uh, the uh, likeness of the goddess um, is burned and then and then and then put in the water, put in the river. Um, for a kind of symbolic coming of spring, um, so I use that to make her, you know, the death goddess. And sometimes she is the death goddess, actually. Um, so she, she she just kind of changes, like what she is changes from from myth to myth, and you know, from scholar to scholar that I've read about her. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I wanted I wanted a very strong female, um, not just Ivan. Um, but I wanted a strong immortal female um, to be the opponent, and um, and uh, and uh, and and she and she fit really well into that plan.
1: So one of the things that interested me when I was reading it is that although there are mortals and there are immortals, and then there's Yaga who's sort of halfway and halfway, even the immortals can die or be subject to some kind of captivity, which is i guess death from their viewpoint is that am i getting that right
0: yeah yeah exactly uh i i didn't want to make it too easy for mortals, <laughs> um and because we we see that in a lot of uh, you know adaptations now take uh neil gaiman's american gods um there too gods can die and as, as we can see this in reality with these Slavic gods uh, you know, in Russia, uh, a lot of Russians don't know about these pagan gods. When I told my parents about my book, they were like, who, who is that? <laughs> and so that's just unbelievable to me how many haven't even heard of these pagan gods that preceded the Christian tradition. So that's just um, uh, a real life example of how God can die. Uh, they can die because they're not remembered anymore. And that's exactly what happened to my immortal peer.
1: That seems very fitting for a social media world, doesn't it? A kind of social death <laughs> because you've been forgotten. Are there any other characters or plot points you'd like to discuss? I don't want to ask you too many leading questions.
0: Well, um, you know, I I love, uh, I, I think we could talk about Ivanovska who is um, Ivan's son. And um, the reason is, is I I do think that Ivanka is one of um, the people, one of the mortals that uh, really forces Yaga into the fight. Um, It's what makes it impossible for her to leave. And Yaga is the beloved son of Anastasia, of course and um, i'm not going to go into too much detail of what happened but i can talk a little bit about who he's based on Um, he's based on ivan's real older son uh tsarevich ivan who was Tsar ivan and anastasia's firstborn son who actually lived and he was the prince the heir he was groomed to become Tsar after ivan and Um, Again, I'm not going to go into too many details, but I think what was most fascinating about him and what inspired his character um, is that he did participate in his father's acts of terror against the people. However, he showed more of a mercy, more of um, uh, knowledge and also sympathy for for the people and for the land and the cities. And he showed a lot of bravery, too. Um, and so I wanted a character like that that would, you know, um, have the strength to go against his father um, and, um, you know, fight fight his father's autocracy from the inside. And to that end, um, one of my favorite um, characters of the novel is Vasily. He is, um, uh, well, I'm not going to give too much out as well, but... Um, he is another character that really inspires the guy to fight for, um, fight for these mortals, fight for her homeland. Um, and the is a made up character, but I imagined him to be the son of, um, one of, um, Ivan's other disgraced advisors, um, called Alexey and um, who was known to be a very caring about people when he was in power. Um, and he also uh, was known to uh, take care of people at the end of his life. Uh, poor people would come into his home. So I have a scene in the novel that has that. It, it's very much inspired by his character. And so I really wanted um, a, a very strong male character that was the opposite of Ivan. And even in some ways the opposite of, of, of Ivanovskaya, who has a weak spot for his father. I wanted Vasily to be uh, the quintessential warrior, the romantic hero that fights for fights for what's right, that fights for against autocracy and oppression and, and fights for the people, for the regular people um of Russia. And so, um and again he, he and Ivanishko are both very important people for Yaga as she um as she learns to lean into her humanity and find power in it throughout the book.
1: What would you like people to take away from The Witch and the Tsar?
0: I think the biggest thing I'd love people to take away is not everything is as a theme, um, that there are different ways of approaching and interpreting a villain and a character from mythology and fairy tales. Um, my interpretation does not seek to erase or replace um, the Bobby Yaga from the fairy tales we all know and love. It just seeks to put forth an interpretation that maybe people haven't thought of, or maybe they don't know these origins, or maybe they're still simply uncomfortable with a strong, powerful, young-looking woman instead of a hag taking on this uh, this villain. So I would love for people to be open-minded. Um, and uh, I think the second thing that I would love um, for people to take away is the book also shows a very difficult and cataclysmic time in Russian history with the reign of Ivan the Terrible. His terror, again, uh, against the oppression of his people and the fight against him is his autocracy from the inside. Um, such stories, I think, are vital, especially now with Russia's war in Ukraine. And this is just my very small, very modest, uh, very fantastical contribution to that genre and of learning about Russia.
1: This book actually came out a year ago. Uh, we're recording to coincide with the release of the paperback edition, which has the most gorgeous cover. Much nicer than the original one. Um, but
0: I'm sure you're still writing. What are you working on now? So right now I am revising my second novel with Ace. Uh, it is a historical Gothic horror tale um, set in post-revolutionary Moscow. Um, and following, of course, the Russian Revolution. Um, it's a gentleman in Moscow meets the hacienda. Um, and the pitch is basically two noble sisters risk all to save each other and their family from their ancestral house, which is bent on bringing back past not only dead, but dangerous to remember in post-revolutionary Soviet Russia.
1: That sounds great. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I am C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I've been talking with Aliestia Salnikova Gilmore about the witch and the czar. Find out more about her at com. Keep up with our news by liking or following New Books Network on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find out more about me and my books at cplesley.com. Where I upload expanded posts about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye until my next conversation about historical fiction on the New Books Network. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.